the practice of Ignatian spirituality, the practice really of discernment, the practice of indifference, I, I think it disposes us to an even greater ability to enter freely into what a relationship demands of us. This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Here's Andy Otto. You know, as someone in a marriage and as a fairly new parent, I found such wisdom in the Ignatian tradition that applies to my relationships and family life. This is what this podcast is about. Whatever type of relationship you're in, whether you have children or not, and at whatever age. I was hoping to have a conversation with both Becky Eldridge and Tim Muldoon, two Ignatian authors and sages in their own right. And the three of us have blogged for .magis on ignatianspirituality.com. But because of a scheduling issue, I was only able to speak with one of them. Uh, I'm Tim Muldoon, and I am the director for mission education at Catholic Extension. Um, in my previous life, I should say, I have been a professor at Boston College and at a couple of other universities. I've taught courses on Ignatian spirituality. I'm very interested in questions about formation, particularly of young people. Tim, along with his wife Sue, is the author of The Discerning Parent, an Ignatian guide to raising your teen. And he's got a lot of wisdom when it comes to the intersection of Ignatian spirituality and parenting, relationships, and family. And more recently, um, I've been interested in questions about how we, as uh, parents of children, start to think about the way that we form our children uh, in their own faith development um, and in their own development of uh, good relationships and of responsibility towards others. My wife Sue and I are the authors of three books uh, that really are trying to ask that question. Uh, some of my other work has been in trying to adapt Ignatius's spiritual exercises to a contemporary audience. Well, Tim Muldoon, welcome to the God and All Things podcast. Thanks Great for to be here. You have children uh, as well. I have one child, uh, but she's a toddler, just a year and a half, and yours are a bit older, right? A little further along yeah. in this pilgrimage. Yeah, mine are 18, 15, and 14. Two girls and a boy. So you have lots to teach me of, of what's to come. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, mean, I can share what I've learned, but uh, you know, you, one, one thing that uh, I think both Sue and I would agree on is that if you've met a parent, you've met a parent, you know, so everybody's got different challenges. Um, and, and so um, whenever you're taking on the task of trying to say something intelligent to other parents, you've got to do it with, I think, a very light touch, recognizing mm -hmm. that we all face different challenges and carry different burdens. Um, but that said, it's, it's part of the reason, uh, as you know, Andy, why, you know, Ignatian spirituality is so helpful, because, you know, there's there's something very flexible about it. There's something, you know, very much that's about discovery, um, you know, not, not so much about, you know, learning rules and, and you know, marching in lockstep, but uh, some tools that allow us to really cultivate our own approach to living deliberately and, and doing that very much as parents as well. You know, as you know, I do adult faith formation for the Jesuit parish here in Atlanta, and um, I've been leading a, a book group, and um, there one of one of my parishioners mentioned that um, that they see a characteristic of the Jesuits and certainly the spirituality um, is flexibility, and you can very much see that in Pope Francis that it's 
it's it's not uh, a focus on rigidity or the rules, but there's uh, certainly the Ignatian idea of God meeting people where they are and God meeting parents where they are or God meeting single people or uh, widows and so on. Um, I love that practicality of Ignatian spirituality. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And, and it's, I think, an important point because you know, for a lot of folks, um, spirituality is, is a daunting proposition or something that you know, they've got maybe misconceptions about. But on the other hand, what I sometimes find myself pushing back on is, is the idea that it's infinitely flexible. Um, you know, that, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, because what about um, you know, basic truths and, mm-hmm. and, and that you know, we hold as uh, important in our faith life? So, so for me, one metaphor that I find very helpful is uh, playing music, you know, there are certain things you have to learn. You have to learn notes, you have to learn technique, and, and those really are fixed rules. But once you master those fixed rules, uh, the beauty of music is that it really unfolds very freely and very spontaneously and, and very artfully. And I, and I think, honestly, prayer is like that. And, and what the Ignatian tradition offers us mm. are, you know, these these mixes of you know, recalling fixed rules. I mean, we meditate on certain stories of Jesus, for example, and we say Jesus is important. Um, but we don't, as you say, you know, get stuck into this kind of rigidity, um, you know, that, that is maybe appropriate for a school child, but we hope to achieve a certain freedom, uh, which, of course, as you know, is an important theme um, to Ignatius as well, that is almost like being a virtuoso, you know, a, a great flute player or a pianist or guitarist who is able to, you know, take those rules and really transform them into something beautiful. Where, what was your first um, encounter with Ignatian spirituality? Well, I'm a, a three-timer, so Loyola Academy outside of Chicago, and then um, as an undergraduate at Boston College, and then ultimately um, interacting in my graduate years with Jesuits at various stages, one of which was down the road from you at Emory University. Mm-hmm. I was uh, there at the Candler School of Theology at a time when um, two uh, colleagues were, were studying there, and uh, we helped run um, an experience of the spiritual exercises uh, for some of the students there. Um, it, it's interesting that one of them went on to be the dean at the Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley, and the other is a professor of liturgical theology at Vanderbilt. So, you know, they're, they're very accomplished in their own right. Um, this was at a time when, um, you know, we were all just uh, interested in uh, being part of a, a very vibrant faith conversation in the Newman Center at Emory. Uh, and so that's where it you know, really dug in, in, in my own life uh, in a way that made me say, I'd really love to know this more and, and share it with others because I saw it as just a tremendous resource. Hmm. You know, as a, as a parent of a toddler, you know, my wife and I are always thinking, okay, we're, we're kind of, we're teaching her the idea of prayer, you know, and it, it, we certainly pray before meals. We pray before bed. She knows how to say amen. She pauses <laughs> for prayer. It's really adorable. But we, we're starting to ask ourselves the questions that as she grows older, how are we going to teach her that prayer is more than just, you know, grace before meals and, and memorized prayers before, before bed? How, how do we teach more creativity in prayer and in faith to children. Yeah, that's that's the key question, and and I will you know be perfectly honest and say 
at this point, you know, in in the stage where Sue and I are in in our own lives and in our own faith, um, we can only say here are things that we've tried and here are things that we have observed over our children's life. And in some ways, this is a very unfinished story because, as I mentioned, you know, my kids are all teenagers, and so what will it look like when they achieve their maturity? So to use my earlier metaphor, it's almost like saying, you know, we're trying to give them these uh, these tools. All right. So, you know, the, the music metaphor, we want to um, teach them that practice is good. We want to teach them how to use, you know, an instrument. We want to use the uh, teach them how to read music. You know, all of these things are tools. And the hope is that one day they are ultimately going to become musicians. OK, so similarly, I want to teach my kids and I have taught my kids prayer and prayers you know, so uh, I'll just use an example. My youngest is uh, 14, and you know he's at a stage where it's still very appropriate to be teaching him prayers. You know, you know, and again at night, and and we'll do you know here are some things that we do, and every now and again he'll lead, and he leads more or less in a in a, in a way that's pretty similar to the way that you know I have led in the past. So so those are tools. But you know, when I look at my older two, my my daughters. You know, they're beyond the let's just do things the way we've always done them. And, and to be perfectly honest, you know, there's a little bit of distancing going on there. You know, they're they're not, you know, they, they feel like they've outgrown that mode of prayer. Now, that said, I do think I see signs in them of, you know, recognizing that, you know, silence is good or that reflection is good. And, of course, these are great tools in the Ignatian toolkit. Um you know, as, as my oldest heads off to college this fall, my hope is that, you know, one of the other things that I will have communicated or we will have communicated is that praying and thinking are not, you know, antithetical, you know, that praying and thinking go together and really ought to go together. You know, so as she's starting to take her first theology class as a college student, I hope that some of that will start to kick in and, and maybe even give her a moment of pause where she can just kind of talk directly to God. And certainly, you know, with your kids going certainly through a transition to, you know, uh, university, I'm sure the idea of discernment comes up, you know, and I, and I even wonder for, for families making transitions, um, have you had any experience with uh, discerning something as a family where you're involving your children? Absolutely. Absolutely. More than one time. And, and really, the best recent example is the college choice, and we very much couched it in the language of discernment. And and so, you know, some uh, observations. Number one, this was a team effort. You know, I mean, uh, Grace is the name of my oldest. Um, you know, we, we let Grace know that this, you know, was her choice to make, but that we were there to help her. So, you know, we would be having conversations and bouncing things off of, of one another, you know, gathering information weighing, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Can you imagine yourself in this place? Can you imagine yourself in, in, in the other place? You know, all of these things are uh, elements in in what constitutes the discernment process. And, and more than once we said, you know, hey, pray about it, you know, bring God into the conversation. And I'll tell you, I, I think that that because there was some consequence to this choice. You know, it means a lot where you choose to go to college. I think it started to, you know, get through to her, yeah, I do want God to be part of this. I feel a little overwhelmed here. You know, this is this is feeling like a little bit much. And, and so even the little hint, you know, talk to God. 
is a way of saying that, you know, in, in some ways life is not entirely in our control and it's okay to just simply say to God, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed right now, you know, mm. and, and, and it's here, I think, again, just using this example, that I affirmed in what I've learned about the Ignatian tradition, because, you know, as you pointed out, it's not that we're saying the same prayers every night or saying the same thing, you know, and by the way, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person that goes to daily mass on a, on a fairly regular basis. You know, I love liturgy. I love praying liturgy of the hours. I love formal prayer. I mean, so I'm not, you know, going to say that those are not important. But at the end of the day, as lay people especially, you know, we, we live in a world that is, is ambiguous, that's changing, that is difficult. And so to be able to approach decision-making with some flexibility and ultimately to say to God, hey, I need you to be part of this, um, all that is deeply, deeply rooted in this Ignatian tradition that we have, you know, found so valuable for our own spiritual lives. Mm. And and how are they? Uh, how are your kids? Um, you mentioned sort of imagining the future, which is very Ignatian. How how are your kids with uh, with using their and engaging their imagination? You know, uh, funny enough, just uh, a few minutes ago, we were coming uh, from dinner, and um, uh, Grace was talking about some things that she was imagining, you know, in in the future, and so. You know, and, and these were perfectly innocuous. I mean, this is just like, you know, some of it was just, you know, the way that teenagers talk about this or that or the other thing. Um, and what 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 I was comforted by was the fact that she could say, this is what I'm imagining right now. And, and in fact, it wasn't even like, here are some things that I would like for you to provide me. You know, that's not that's not what it was. It's more like she is is getting the sense that imagination is important. You know, because imagination immediately tells me where my uh, desires are. Mm. You know, if, if I'm imagining myself, of, you know, doing this thing, then, then there's a part of me that is desiring that. You know, so it's a kind of a clue to where the heart is. And so it was just a very interesting example of, of her being willing to name that and have it be even part of our just dinner table conversation. What about for couples? Um, mm. is there something in the Ignatian toolkit, uh, a principle or an element of the spiritual exercises that you think would be helpful for, uh, for a couple making, making a decision? Because, you know, discernment is very personal, you know, and, uh, you know, and even when my wife and I, we kind of went through an Ignatian election discernment process mm -hmm. before we decided to get engaged. Yeah. But that was still... Uh, very personal. We prayed on our own, but then we came together. Right. Is there something you know in your own experience that that you can you can do together as a couple? Yeah. Well, I, I guess the big picture answer is anything that works. I mean that that sounds flippant, but um, but but on some level, I'd like to argue for um, you know this this idea that if you are interested as a couple, if, you, if both of you are interested in, in your hearts moving in the same direction, then the things that we understand happening in an individual discernment apply also to any kind of group discernment, but in this case, a, you know, a couple's discernment. You know, so, so again, the big picture is that we are seeking to put our heart where God's heart is, as it were. Um, we're, we're, we're seeking to allow God to, to shape us, to, to move us, in the direction that is most life-giving and for the you know greater uh, praise and glory of, of of God's name, and so 
if we understand discernment to be an openness to the movement of the Holy Spirit towards a direction that, that God you know, deems life-giving, then it stands to reason that, that a couple can similarly do that. So yes, it's a good thing to pray you know, individually, but um, you know, at a certain point, it's just good to talk about what do you dream about? You know, what is it that you desire? What do you hope for in your life? And by the way, um, and, and my guess, Andy, is that, that, you know, you've probably experienced this. I know we have. Um, it may not be the same thing immediately. You know, I mean, I can remember, especially very early in our relationship, um, there being, you know, something of a distance between, you know, what person A wanted and what person B wanted. Mm. But even having that conversation raises the question, ooh, what am I willing to give up? And ooh, what's a non-negotiable? You know, and so the hard questions can then provoke hard conversations, but hard in the good sense, like to really getting down to brass tacks, what is it that we hope for for our lives? You know, so so I would say that there's kind of a, a dialectic, actually trialectic going on mm -hmm. there. Um, you know, I and the other person are speaking, I'm allowing God to have a role in that conversation as well. Um, and I'll give you actually just one quick um, image uh, that uh, Sue and I have sometimes talked about in reference to this practice. It came up um, once upon a time. We were talking with, with one of our kids about relationships, just, you know, about, you know, how you get into a good relationship, you know, dating, this kind of thing. And she made the observation, you know, almost kind of like, you know, scornfully, like, oh, you two, you know, you've got that third thing. And, and, and my wife is like, what's this third thing? And she, and I, she had no idea what, what she was talking about. And, and her daughter says, oh, you know, God, you know, and <laughs> like, it's almost like she got it. Like, it's not even like we were trumping the fact like big decisions before God, but she got that mm. there's a shared direction there. We're both interested in where God is leading us. So in a very real sense, that kind of bled over to her recognizing, yeah, God's involved in our own discernment process as a couple. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, Ignatian spirituality is is certainly consoling for me because it's like you're not on your own. You're you're collaborating in God's project for the world and trying to discern um, either on your own or uh, with your with your partner together with God uh, yeah. of how to contribute to that project. Even in spiritual direction, right? We talk about how God is ultimately the director. There's a right. there's sort of a third chair in the room um, right. that it's it's not just it's not about the spiritual director themselves, but it's it's about how God is working through that relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And and just to even push that point a little bit further, um, you know, of course, you know, indifference is is such a critical principle in in terms of one's spiritual freedom to be able to listen to God. So you know, getting back to this example of you know coming to a hard conversation. Um, one person says, you know, I really want this thing. And you say, no, I don't want that thing at all. Um, you know, and suddenly you're confronted with the question, well, what am I willing to give up? You know, so, uh, if discernment is predicated on the proper spirit of indifference, then what this other, you know, beloved person in my life presents me with is, you know, it, it's, it's a hard question, but it's an absolutely necessary question. Do I love this person enough to have my desires shaped by this relationship and not exclusively shaped by like whatever it is that I am interested mm. in right now? 
you know, because relationships change us. I mean, the bottom line, relationships change us. And so I would even argue uh, that the practice of Ignatian spirituality, the practice really of discernment, the practice of indifference, I, I think it disposes us to an even greater ability to enter freely into what a relationship demands of us. Now, it doesn't mean we, you know, we become wallflowers and we let, you know, the other walk all over us. Um, you know, because, you know, they're, they're, and I'm really careful about this, you know, when I'm talking to, you know, some people that, you know, it doesn't mean that you just let the other person get what, you know, the other person mm -hmm. wants. It does mean, though, that, you know, because you are practiced in spiritual freedom, you really can ask yourself, how much do I need that thing? You know, is, is that thing that I'm holding on to absolutely critical to my happiness? And if it's not, then am I willing to let it go out of love for this other person? You know, because mm -hmm. in my experience, that has to happen probably even hundreds of times over the course of a relationship. That dynamic. That's great advice for um, for those preparing to get married. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly yeah. those who are already married or in relationship. Um, my wife, Sarah, and I are actually um, developing an Ignatian marriage prep program for our parish. That's great. Um, and that, yeah, that idea of freedom and indifference to the, the benefit, the, the, the life of the relationship right. in the context of, of our God relationship is, right. is so important. And you certainly can't have that without um, good communication um, right. and certainly a freedom and, and openness uh, and listening. You know, I mean, at the beginning of our relationship, uh, Sarah had fears about losing her independence, and I think that's a natural fear that that a lot of people Absolutely. going into any kind of committed relationship yeah. would experience. But uh, and it takes time to to come to that place of of freedom. That sometimes I might have to let go of of certain things and certain expectations, and it'll mm -hmm. be fine. Yeah, it'll be yeah. fine. You know, I'm I'm uh, I constantly come back to something that. Uh, Bill Barry observed, William Barry, the great, you know, Jesuit mm -hmm. spiritual director, author, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing when I say it this way, but uh, he says something to the effect of, um, you know, we, we, we pray to God all the time uh, to avoid things that we don't want or things that we're afraid of. And, and Barry says, um, you know what, what you're afraid of may in fact happen, you know, it, it, it may in fact happen, but in prayer, you will find that God is walking with you through it and that it's not something to be afraid of, mm. you know? So, I mean, just using your example, um, I, I think you're right. I think everyone naturally fears losing independence in a relationship. And, and so I, I hope this doesn't sound flippant, especially to your, um, you know, your listeners who are younger, who are maybe, you know, on the verge of thinking about marriage. Um, but the bottom line is, of course you lose your independence. You know, if you're in a relationship, it's almost by definition you're losing your independence. You're choosing to um, yoke yourself. And, of course, I'm using the biblical image of the yoke. You're choosing to yoke yourself to someone else. And so, you know, almost by definition, you've lost your independence. But, but again, Barry's point is, you know, that thing you fear, yeah, it's probably going to happen. But it's not something to fear, and God's with you in the process of it. You know, so, so, so you don't lose your identity. You don't lose that identity in God, no, right? Of yeah. course not. 
course not. You know, and, and I'm sort of overstating the case, so I, I hope this isn't coming across as heavy-handed. My point really is that you know, even when you enter into this relationship, and, and quick parenthesis, this is assuming it's a good relationship. Again, you know, I would always um, tell people, you know, be in spiritual direction. You know, we can, um, you know, sometimes fall into bad relationships. So I need to just kind of put that out there that, that I'm not speaking about, you know, sometimes bad relationships, harmful relationships. But, but in a good relationship, of course, there are going to be things that you have to give up and, 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 you know, that you're taking on as a consequence of yoking yourself to another person. But there's grace to be found in that, and there's freedom to be found in that, and that's where I want to suggest that the the practice of indifference can be just a wonderful, almost um, you know, way to uh, prepare oneself for those kinds of graces. Because I'm not holding on to anything that's going to prevent me from experiencing those graces. You know, a uh, a helpful tool that we used uh, and have used in our relationship is what we call the relationship examine and mm-hmm. you know we every week we would we would sort of have a, a check-in with each other and we would ask ourselves the questions how am i doing mm-hmm. in the relationship how are you doing in the relationship and how are we doing and yeah. um and then he, listening to one another to sort of to check in to see where we are and that's been extraordinarily helpful certainly in uh, in aiding in our ability to communicate well to each other and to also look at the um, look at how we fit into this uh, sort of shared project of a mm. relationship or a marriage in this case I love that yeah yeah and, and I love that that language of a shared project I don't know if you're specifically channeling Joseph Tetlow when you say that but you know he, you know God's project he loves that phrase of, of mm-hmm. how our lives and, and really our relationship can become something that we are constructing with God. You know, so I really love that, that, that image. The idea of bringing that kind of reflective practice into a relationship, I think, is marvelous. I would even say that, that Sue and I had things that looked like that, you know, not, not, not exactly what you're describing, but things that looked like that early in our relationship. And, um, and, and this may be a kind of a caveat, um, you know, because as kids get older, that gets a lot harder. You know, there's just there's there's there are more balls in play. In fact, um, even you know when the kids out we have three. I said you know so when the kids outnumber you, it's, my friend once said it's like you're playing zone defense. There's always something else going on. So you know, even finding those reflective times can be very difficult. But you know, I think we've done a good job of building in other kinds of practices that that move in this in a similar direction. You know where you're where you're really thinking. You know, again, I, you, we, um, and and sometimes even you know like mini retreats, like you know going out to lunch together, like scheduling dates. Mm. Incredibly important. I would even say for those who have kids, very very important spiritual practice to go out on dates and to treat each other with the same care that you did when you were dating. You know because um, we put our best self forward in the dating relationship. We can sometimes fall out of that practice when we're married. Mm-hmm. Things like that, you know, those those are ways in which we we value our shared project, your language. Right, we value right. we actually add value to it by setting aside time and, and really preparing ourselves properly, you know, in, in ways that I think 
you can draw examples or, or, or parallels from the experience of prayer itself. You know, I found even the idea of Ignatian repetition, the idea that there might be more fruit drawn from uh, sort of revisiting a past prayer, past experience, yes. can be really helpful. Um, you know, uh, rereading old journals uh, or love letters to one another, yeah. uh, looking at old photos, photos yeah. um, and sort of just kind of living into that nostalgia. Um, you know, and, and nostalgia is, is uh, you know, I, I heard uh, sort of an expert on nostalgia the other day say it's not about a living in the past, but it's actually noticing the, the things that are important to you and that you value and yeah. desiring to bring them to the present, you yeah. know. And so yeah. uh, bringing that, that desire and love and care you had for one another at the beginning of the relationship, mm-hmm. bringing that and reminding yourselves of that consolation to the mm-hmm. to the present yeah i i, I think that's a, a great point uh, gratitude would be the other word that that comes mm-hmm. to mind i mean for for us i think especially you know we're we're knocking on the door we're not there yet but we're knocking on the door of empty nesting you know because again our oldest is in eighth grade now and so you know within five years we're gonna be empty nesters so you know it's a very different chapter of our lives and just going back to the you know pictures from 10, 15, 20 years ago, and, and I should just add in parenthesis, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary last month. So it's all very- Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, I was not fishing for that, by the way, but anyway, thank <laughs> you. Um, but you know, the, it, it's a moment of pause and, and, and gratitude, you know, because when you do go back to those earlier chapters, and sometimes they're even just memories, you know, calling forth mm-hmm. memories is, is, a, is a beautiful thing to do to summon, you know, to mind how has God blessed us. And, and it's not always been easy, by the way, in our case and in many cases. You know, it's not that it's always been easy, you know, but there's something about that retrospective, and I've always found this about, again, the Ignatian tradition so profoundly, that you're, you're going back into memory. And you know that, you know, in the Sushipe prayer, mm-hmm. it's, it's an asking for the transformation of memory. Take, Lord, receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. So. So Ignatius, you know, when he pens that prayer, you know, for me, what he's saying is, remember that God transforms our memory, you know, and, and, and in fact, showers graces on us by virtue of those transformed memories, you know. So, you know, when, when I look back at these early chapters, I don't, I don't necessarily think about, like, you know, the times when it was horrible or, or, or difficult or, you know, work was hard or it was stressful or we didn't have money, whatever it was. I think, oh my God, we've been so blessed. I mean, oh my God, you were so beautiful, and oh my God, this was such a great, you know, experience. You know, though that's that's a great, great blessing, and and so to be able to make that part of your practice is, you know, again, it's just it's it's only going to enhance, you know, what you're bringing into the present, and you know, it's going to affect then how the relationship, you know, moves into the future. What about what about brokenness? struggle in in families whether whether in a, a couple relationship or in a in a you know family that's larger than two um mm. what, what what is what wisdom comes from from ignatius or from the spiritual exercises that might be able to help people who are in the midst of a of a difficult situation or a hardship yeah a re- really important question andy i'm glad you raised that um Sue is the expert. In fact, th- th- what you're um, asking is 
the talk that she gave at the most uh, recent World Meeting of Families in mm -hmm. Philadelphia it was on brokenness and healing broken relationships. So I'm, I'm going to have to here do my best to at least you know <laughs> paraphrase the points that she made, and I'll let you talk to her you know another time, and she can flesh mm -hmm. out. She's a uh, she's a therapist you know by training, and and so you know has dealt with this question of of brokenness and of healing. One thing I'll just observe, and it piggybacks nicely with what we were just talking about a moment ago. Um, memories matter, you know. So, uh, you know, at at no point is there wisdom really in completely forgetting, even though there's that kind of colloquial, you know, forgive and forget kind of thing. You know, memory is powerful, and 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 it's possible in a sense to to heal memory. Um, she talks about, or she's pointed to um, the common practice. It's it's a therapeutic practice of reframing. So, you know, in brief, what a reframing is, is an attempt to see something differently by changing one's perspective. And I remember um, one example that she used in, in her talk, and again, I, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but she talks about, and, and this is, you know, maybe not an in-couple relationship, but, but a relationship between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, and you know, she, she describes the daughter-in-law as, you know, always feeling judged by the mother-in-law and, you know, feeling like on the outs, but it, it impacts, you know, the marriage or the relationship. And so, um, now this is a hypothetical, okay, so obviously we can only take this so far, but, but her point is that it's possible to reframe the relationship with the mother-in-law, okay? So daughter-in-law can say to mother-in-law something to the effect of, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, you have your... Um, you know, the, the way that you relate to your son is important to you. You know, I, I'm not going to replace that. It's important to me that you're part of our relationship. In other words, you're not creating a barrier. You're just trying to recognize what's there, understand it slightly differently, and maybe even understand the person and, and why it is that that person brings maybe this pain into the relationship. It's, it's one example, but to me, what's helpful about it is that is a kind of... Um, repairing of memory, hmm. you know, such that it has an impact on the relationship now. I wonder if you, to put it in Ignatian terms, uh, you could even call it a reimagining. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll use another example, and this and this one is is mine. It's it's riffing off of something that Sue says, but um, the uh, the the rules that excuse me the annotations that Ignatius gives at the beginning of his spiritual exercises. These, as you know, are instructions to a spiritual director on basically how to give the exercises properly and how to enter into it with the proper spirit and disposition, etc. And, and one of the annotations says, in effect, um, you know, when you're in conversation with the person you're, you're giving the exercises to, always be ready to... Um, hear that person um, and, and, and give that person's words the best possible reading, you know? So in other words, not to attach your own prejudices or, or presuppositions, but to, but to put the best spin on that right, person. This is sometimes called the plus sign. Yes. So, you know, practice the plus sign if you want. Um, that's, a, that's a practice, and that's something that um, I think is a great entree mm into teaching especially young couples how to argue well. You know, it's, it's impossible not to argue, but it's possible to argue well. Um, and, and to do that, to always put the best spin on it, or to try to understand where that person's coming from. You know, why is it 
that, you know, my spouse is obsessed with the dishwasher or, you know, I don't know, it never cleans up uh, properly, you know, whatever it is. It always is something, you know, minor, not always, but it's frequently something minor. And it can cause, you know, kind of communication breakdown. So to learn skills of really, you know, dwelling in this place of I love this person, you know, even holding hands during arguments, um, rephrasing what the person has said to make sure you understand it right, and to remember that this person is a vessel of grace, you know, I mean, that, that those are practices. Those are spiritual practices, um, but they're predicated on this, you know, conviction that it is possible to reframe or, as you put it, reimagine what is it this person means and what is it that this person really is saying about our future mm-hmm. together. Start to, again, reimagine in a direction that is... Meaningful. Essentially giving them the benefit of the doubt and, and right. sort of putting yourselves for a moment in their shoes and, and yeah. seeing a different perspective. Um, right. Not putting the, you know, gloves up and, you know, boom, hitting them with, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Vaguely. It's not my, you know, not my main thing, but yeah. I, yeah. I find it a very helpful tool in uh, giving language to uh, to be able to kind of look through the lens of another person uh, that might yeah. have a very different personality type, but essentially worldview. You know, they literally see yeah. the world in a different way, um, mm-hmm. you know, and in our very polarized culture right now that would be a welcome thing uh but it's well anything that gets us into other people's heads better is going to be a good thing yeah difficult to do but um sue has done um i'm sure you're also familiar with the myers-briggs um that's that's another you know anything that that gets into kind of basic programming of different personalities you know i mean the, the the big the big challenge for any new relationship is this other person is legitimately different from me. Not an, not another me, but a legitimately different sovereign human creature. And and so yeah, I mean if, if Myers Briggs works, if the Enneagram works, you know, if anything else that that helps us to grasp on and there are versions of it even in, in the professional world too, by the way. That's become a big deal in, in kind of corporate life too. You know, to try and understand that people have different communication styles, they have different expectations in relationships. They have, you know, different levels of introversion, extroversion, those kinds of things are going to impact the way that communication happens. Um, you know, when I was talking about learning the notes, I mean, I remember back earlier in our relationship where there was, I, I just remember having a great deal of perplexity, like, what is going on here? You know, I look back on it now and I, and I just say, you know, there's so much that we have gotten to the point of taking for granted. You know, we've, and, and I don't mean this to boast or anything, but we've achieved a certain level of virtuosity in the way we relate. So we don't have to think about, oh yeah, I'm a natural introvert and oh yeah, you're a natural extrovert, you know, those kinds of things. Um, they become just part of the fabric of communication and part of, you know, the expectations of what happens in communication. And, and, and once you name them and are able to um, move on from them, I liken it to what happens like when you learn how to play a certain song, at a certain point you don't have to think about it, you just do it, you know, you just, you accept the fact that your partner is different, and you adjust, and and then, you know, more beautiful music can emerge at the risk of sound. I love that metaphor, I love that <laughs> metaphor, um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a musician, but I, uh, I get it, and there's... Um, music could could look rigid to some but um 
there's great flexibility, but you're still working within kind of the rules. Within the yeah, rules, that's yeah. it. And full disclosure, I'm not a musician either, but I just <laughs> I admire it when it's done well. Yeah, and, and even the even the metaphor of, uh, as you said, the Ignatian toolkit, um, you know, that we have. Yeah. There's, there's so many different ways to pray. There are many different ways to discern. You know, and Ignatius always says, right, use what works. And yeah. sometimes you need a particular yeah. tool and another, another, you know, another season of life, you need to, you need another tool. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But you keep at it, right. you know, again, the, the, the image of there being a project to work on and, you know, to take on a project is to ultimately fall in love with what it is going to become, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a poem, whether it's, you know, a, a great, you know, book, whether it's, you know, whatever the project is. You know, if, if if it's worth doing, then it's worth trying different things in different seasons of our lives. You know, so I would say the one constant I may I'd have to think about this. I'm I'm kind of speaking and thinking out loud here, but I want to say that the one constant that I really see in in Ignatius's own writings and therefore in Ignatian spirituality is you keep at it. You know, he even says if you're starting to not feel it double down again, you know, and do it even harder, you know, don't give it up, the project is worth doing, the life of prayer is worth doing, the, the, you know, the relationship built on prayer is worth cultivating, you know, the beauty that will come from your passion is worth giving time, energy, and attention to, especially when it's hard, you know, double down and, and keep at it. Well, Tim Muldoon, author of uh, The Discerning Parent, along with his wife, Sue, you're going to be uh, leading a, a morning and evening of reflection by the same name at Ignatius House, uh, Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, October 11th and 12th. Uh, very much looking forward to that. So I invite listeners who um, live in, in the Atlanta area or who certainly could get here uh, to, to certainly come to that. Um, Thank you, Tim, for, for uh, joining me. Um, this was a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it. I'm delighted, Andy. It's, it's great to join you, and I wish you well in your ministry. You can learn more about Tim and Sue Muldoon at the post that companions this podcast at GodInAllThings.com. Be sure to also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to this podcast so you can listen regularly. Finally, check out our Ignatian prayer aids and journals at ignatianresources.com. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off your first order. God bless.